0: All right, let's open our Bibles to uh, Mark chapter 6. Joshua almost finished up chapter 6. I'm going to pick it up in verse 53. We've just, um, the first part of this is the feeding of the 5,000. We'll do a comparative of the two times that the Lord fed the multitudes. Last week, or the week before, we had the feeding of the 5,000. Tonight, we'll have the feeding of the 4,000. Um, there are two different events, and we'll explain why as we make our way through it. As I was studying for this today, I was, I was um, taken, because I know the, the area very well, over there and just the distances that the Lord actually traveled between these areas. I went online and actually found a pretty good map that gave you the miles from the many different cities, and it was a, a very good graph that... Uh, in one case, I wanted to know how far it was from Caesarea Philippi to uh, the Sea of Galilee. And um, it comes up, Caesarea Philippi, uh, they call it Bannis today, is roughly 40 miles away. Um, let's look at chapter 6, verse 53. And again, always on the move. For three years, it was nonstop. It says, now when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret, anchored there. And when they came out of the boat, immediately, here's that word again, used over and over again, action, the people recognized him, ran through the whole surrounding region, and began to carry about on beds those who were sick to wherever they heard he was. And whenever he entered into villages, cities, or the country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him, that they just might touch the border of his garment, and as many as touched him were made whole. Always traveling, always wanting to be low-key because he realized that the crowds were going to be uh, huge wherever he went. And uh, this is one of the first things we we read here, that um, wherever he was, there was a great multitude. When the word got out that the Lord was coming... They just brought hundreds, if not thousands of people were healed by Jesus during his ministry. And we're going all the way from the Tyre and Sidon, which would be on the Mediterranean Sea. We'll talk about the ten cities of the Decapolis tonight. We're going to be going up to Caesarea, and then Bethsaida, Capernaum, and there's just a lot of movement. But the multitudes are wherever he goes, knowing that if they can just get close enough, just even to touch his garment, that um, whatever sickness, we'll talk about a a woman from um, Sidon, a demon-possessed gal, the Lord would heal all of them. So we're talking hundreds, if not thousands of people that were miraculously healed uh, in Jesus' ministry. For those three years brings us to chapter 7 And he begins to warn about religion In this case, the Pharisees and their rituals And we read, let's just read the first eight verses here Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him Having come from Jerusalem So now, that's quite a way south From where he's going to be in the north And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread With defiled, that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands, notice in a special way, holding to the traditions of the elders. And when they had come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and and couches. And the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat according to the traditions with unwashed hands? And the Lord said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. I love the song we just sang, Oh, let the love of God unfold you, and a spirit like a dove come upon you. That was Chuck theme song for his radio program for many, many, many years. And a lot of people don't take the time just to sit and be still and let the spirit of God just come upon them and um, relish it and cherish it and realizing it's a relationship he's more interested in than you having a whole lot of head knowledge, making it even worse, traditions of men replacing the word of God. And this was foretold by Isaiah. Uh, Their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Big word there is doctrine. Doctrine is everything. Doctrine is what we have established, in scripture, the gospel, the things that the Lord um, lays out as far as conditions for salvation, how a person is saved or born again, but now they're being replaced, and we'll just read one more verse, for laying aside the commandments, the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men, and then they say specifically here, the washing of pitchers and cups, and many other such things that you do. Well, and I read that, it reminded me, whenever we go to the Wailing Wall in uh, Jerusalem, uh, before you can go to the Wailing Wall, we're, I'm going to show you a picture of the Orthodox. This is um, a washing station. This is um, the courtyard for the Wailing Wall. And what they're doing, if you notice, um, I picked this picture because if you see the, the, the one... Um, Jewish man, with his hands like this. They're like this because his hands are still wet. And he's not going to wipe them on anything. That's why it says here that they have traditions. They wash in a special way holding the traditions of the elders. So, the marketplace, well, the Jewish quarters would have been straight to the right uh, from this direction if you would go to the old city. You would be in the Arab quarter. and It's where you do your buying and selling. And um, But if you're going to go to pray at the Wailing Wall or there's a special chamber that is designated with many prayer books, you had to wash your hands before you go in. But this was a custom. And uh, this is exactly what Jesus is talking uh, about when there's nothing about this. This is one of their man-made traditions. A lot is talked about. We're going through Leviticus and man's prayer about um, the commandments that the Lord makes up about being clean, but we don't have specifically this where you'll notice there's chains that are um, connected to pitchers. So they'll turn the water on, fill up the pitcher, and let it down, and then they just let their hands, hand dry, and then and only then uh, do you go in. If you're a Gentile like myself, we don't do that, but in honor they require that you put on the skull cap before you go in. And they're just made out of cardboard or paper. And um, they're hard to keep on, actually. If there's any wind at all, they're gone. <laughs> and then the whaling Wall would be to, to the left, very, very close, within 100 feet at, at the most. And um, it's... When you go down farther, you, you find some of the Herodian stone, uh, the stone that... Is at the Wailing Wall right now. Um, only a portion of it. Well, one portion of it is that was uncovered just recently, within the last 20 years, is the stones that would have been torn down in 70, in 70 AD. And uh, the very cornerstone, as a matter of fact, uh, because it has special markings on it, that this would have been the cornerstone of the very, very top stone of uh, the temple wall when they pushed those over. Well, for for since 70 AD, and the city being rebuilt so many times, different layers of dirt would accumulate over the years, and slowly, every year from 79, every year I'd go back to a little bit more excavating, a little bit more archaeological work, where they're now down to street level, in this particular area, where you could actually walk on the same stones that the Lord would have walked on 2,000 years ago. And the farther south you go, you go into the city of David, and you can go all the way down, where they've, in the last 15 years, they've uh, discovered the Pool of Siloam. Now the Bible talks about all these things. But now we're finding them. And um, again, uh, the Bible always will, prove itself um, correct and um, the more they dig the more they're actually the more they're discovering so I made it to verse 8 I thought I'd show you a picture of what the Lord was talking about here with their traditions <clears throat> and he said to them all too well verse 9 all too well you reject the commandments of God that you might keep your tradition and As Moses said, you are to honor your father and your mother. And he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. Now, just let that sink in for a second. Um, One of the commandments is to honor your father and your mother. And um, if they were disrespected, the death penalty was in play. That's how much the the Lord thought about um, respect then verse 11 but you say if a man says to his father or mother uh, whatever profit you might have received from me is korban that is dedicated to the temple and you are no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother making the word of God of no effect through your traditions which you have handed down and many such things you do. Now let me just um, explain explain this uh, a little bit here. Um, Now he's giving them an example of what they were doing when he talks about Moses and the law, they were to honor their father and their mother, but their tradition now permitted them to escape the responsibility to their parents. So if a man did not want to help his father or mother when they became old and needy, what he would do is he would dedicate his possessions to the priest in the temple, and it was called korban, which means a gift. At a man's death, his estate went to the temple, and he was relieved of the responsibility of his parents. Now, the scriptures are clear. You honor your father and your mother, and you take care of them. But what they had come up with is a thing called korban, which is a man-made tradition, and it got them off the hook if they didn't want to care for their parents when they got elderly. And and uh, um, the Lord is bringing this up here. And the bottom line, when you do that, then you've just taken the authority away from scriptures. Verse 13, um, making the word of God of no effect through your traditions which you have handed down. Now, we have our own traditions today. Um... I believe the scriptures are clear um, when it comes to um, raising up disciples. The disciples were with um, Jesus for three years, and it was their training period. They were being discipled. Paul was, after he was saved, a lot of people don't realize it, but he was taught by the Lord three years in the desert but he didn't go into ministry after that. Saul of Tarsus went back to Tarsus. And it was 14 years before he actually started his ministry. And so we, we don't think, we think Paul was out and he was evangelizing right away. That was not the case. He was waiting um, on the Lord. And so the traditions that I see today of men Well, the Lord is going to name names here tonight, so I'll name names. Uh, I think one of the biggest traditions that has come into raising up leaders in the church today, the examples, I just gave a copy of Paul Smith's book away today, that traces a guy named Peter Drucker and where we started to get off track away from the word of God with a guy named C. Peter Wagner and Peter Drucker, both from Um, Fuller Theological Seminary in Southern California and Paul knows these guys and um, he saw the shift begin at that time Uh, Peter Drucker if you don't know is not a Christian Um, he is what they call a guru to the CEOs of our country we're talking about people of major corporations and um, he's their instructor both Rick Warren And Bill Heibel, if you ask them who their mentor was, they won't tell you the word of God or the Holy Spirit or a godly pastor that they sat under. They'll say Peter Drucker. So when they have a leadership conference, um, the irony to me, I just, I I can't believe what I've seen happen to the church in the last 20 years because the speakers that come in aren't even Christians but they're corporate leaders who have leadership skills that have been taught by a man who's not even a born-again Christian. And they'll pack the place out every year. Um, 7,000 people watch it. All you have to do is pay $300 and you can go in and listen to the CEO from Starbucks how to be a good leader. That is a man-made tradition. And um, um, instead of... Um, well, just the conferences where we should have, we should, as believers, the respect here that we just read about with father and mother. Why? Because they're young and foolish (laughs) when you're growing up. So you respect the older person. That's the way it should be in the church today. I don't look to or try to glean Um, Spiritual maturity or growth For anybody that's in his 20s I think there's certain things you can only learn Through years of walking with the Lord Probably a good place for an amen So the guys that I like to um, Learn from or look up to Are always my seniors The Chuck Smiths, the J. Vernon McGees And um, uh, You know, the D.L. Moody's. I especially like D.L. Moody because his name is Dwight, you know. And so he's got a special place in my heart. Or Dwight Pentecost. There's another good one. (laughs) My point is simple. Um, Many years under their belt, and with that comes much wisdom. So the reason for honoring father and mother are simply because they're there to train you. And you had to have the respect to listen to your parents because they have the years and wisdom of, of advice. So let's leave that there. I did want to explain the korban, what that was all about. It's just getting you off the hook from taking care of mom and dad when, the, when they're old. All you had to do was sign off your property. When you died, it went to the temple, and you didn't have to worry about it. Pick it up in verse... Fourteen. And when he had called all the multitude to him, he said to them, Hear me, everyone, and understand. There is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him, but the things which come out of him, those are the things um, that will defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are not the things that defile a man. Now, if anyone has an ear to hear, let him hear. Better check and see if you got your ears on. And when he had entered a house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. And he said to them, Are you thus without understanding also? Now these these disciples, they really blow my mind. Because the Lord is going to every village, and wherever he goes, they already got the people laying in the street waiting for him just to pass by. They had to see this stuff. They had to watch wherever the Lord went, hundreds of people were getting healed. And now he's talking to them about, it's not what you eat that defiles you. And he goes on in verse 18, he said to them, Are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him? Because it doesn't enter his heart but his stomach, and then it's eliminated and thus purifying all foods. And he said, what comes out of a man that defiles a man are from within, out of the heart of men. So, the whole idea of um, eating something, um, Peter, even under the law, they were forbidden to eat certain foods, but that was changed when um, Peter saw the the, the blanket come down out of heaven with all these Peter was hungry it was lunchtime, and he has this vision and here's all this unkosher food coming down and the Lord says to Peter rise Peter kill and eat Peter says Peter be Peter not so Lord I have never eaten anything that is unclean and the Lord says what I've cleansed don't you dare call it unclean and this thing was repeated three times Peter has a thick head, so it had to happen three times. And it was all in preparation for taking the gospel for the first Gentile who's going to get saved, whose name is Cornelius. Gentiles are dogs. They're unclean. And we'll we'll see that tonight. The Lord purposely points out to this woman who's not a Jewish person, that he can't deal with her because she's not Jewish but she won't let him go, but I'm getting ahead of myself. So that's going to be coming up in just a bit. So uh, verse 21 talks about what really defiles a man, comes out of the heart of men, evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murder, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, licentiousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, the worst of all of these is pride. The Lord hates that above them all. Foolishness. Now all these things come from within and defile a man. And um you know it's it's the old adage um, um, you become like the friends and the people that you hang out with. And um so the the Lord is they're asking the, the question about um, <clears throat> defilement and the disciples are pulling the Lord aside and saying, what in the world are you talking about? the Lord says, it doesn't matter what you eat. Pray for it and bless it. That doesn't defile you because it goes in and it comes out. But if you allow, well, the things that, that um, you know, you have to be very, very selective even in being able to watch TV these days. And um, th- there's things on there that are, uh, uh, there's photographic material just turning your channels. And you can uh, dwell on it, let it enter into your mind and, and think on it, and it'll defile you. It'll cause you to be imprint, implanted into your, into your brain. And um, these are the things that eventually the Lord says This is what defiles a man Because it enters into the heart Into your soul So that, we have a change now when we get to verse uh, 23 I told you about this Phoenician woman um, So from 24 to 30 And we'll look at a different view from it here Matthew's account also Now from there, he arose and he went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now this would be on the Mediterranean, which is a good walk. And he entered a house and wanted no one to know it, but he could not be hidden. Again, the crowds followed him wherever he went. For a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him, and she came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Phoenician by birth, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. Now notice what the Lord says to her. Let the children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she's understanding that he's a Jew and she's speaking to her, a Gentile. And the Lord was told to go to the lost sheep of the children of Israel. And she answered and said to him, "Oh, yes, Lord, but even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. And the Lord was impressed with that. She wasn't going to let it go. She's going to press the point. Um, The first thing I noticed about this is she knew about Jesus, but she's staying with her daughter. This is a young girl we're going to find out in Matthew. Then he said to her, for this saying, go your way, the demon has gone out of the young daughter. She was a young child. And when she had come to her house, she found the demon gone out and her daughter lying on the bed. Again, we haven't hit too many chapters without seeing demon involvement and demon-possessed people. Let's go to um, Matthew chapter 15, picking it up in verse 21, the same account, but with a little bit more detail. And I have a hunch here, and I'm going to tell you it's only my hunch, but let's read it first and see some some of the things that Matthew adds that Mark doesn't. 21 to 28. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But then she came, and now we find out she worships him, and she just says, Lord, please help me. But he answered and said, it's not good to take the little children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. She said, true, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. And the Lord said to her, "O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Now, I'm going to tell you what I think is going on here. But I'm going to use a different Illustration. Remember the woman at the well. And at the beginning of this telling of this story, the Lord looks at his disciples and he says, look, we have to go to, through Samaria. Well, first of all, the Jews would not go through Samaria because the Jews and Samaritans didn't like each other. But he specifically says, look, we have to go through Samaria. If you're traveling in Israel, the route that they would take from the Galilee would be the Jordan. Valley, And it stops at Jericho And then you make a sharp right and you make your way up to Jerusalem Or the other way would be coming down on the other side um, uh, And avoiding the area of Samaria altogether But usually the route to the Galilee would have been the Jordan, the Jordan Valley Well, we're going to go to Samaria Well, that was a no-no it was also a no-no to be left alone with a woman if you were a rabbi. So he comes to the well. He sends the disciples on um, into the city to, to buy food. And all of a sudden, this woman shows up. And he begins to have this dialogue with her. And she says, what's up with this? Dwight's paraphrase: You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. You and I both know that we shouldn't be talking, and um, and he continues the conversation by saying, you know, um, you're drawing from this water. If you um, if you drink of the water that I'll, i give you, you'll never have to you'll never be thirsty again. Well, this got her attention. And um, at this point she called him a Jude the first time and then she calls him sir. She said, sir, give me some of this water so that I may never have to do this chore again. By the way, it was high noon and you don't collect water at high noon. It was the heat of the day. So she was there by herself at the heat of the day. There's a reason for that. So then he said, okay, I'll, I'll do that but go call your husband first ooh, that was, that was a stinger, that one hurt. Well, I don't have a husband. And the Lord looked at her and said, well, that, that's true, you told me the truth. Um, you've been married, what now, five times, and the guy you're living with right now, you're not married to, so I guess you're telling me the truth when you say you don't have a husband. Now, this is what I believe. I believe maybe some of the people knew that she was married maybe three times. Nobody knew about four and five. And so he is doing something now that only only the Lord would know. And um, um, then she says, I perceive that you must be a prophet to know that. So he he went from a Jew to sir to a prophet. And what the Lord was doing There's a proverb that says that a wise man will bring up counsel like a deep well. What is the Lord doing? He's fishing. He's drawing her out. She's there at the heat of the day because she's a a woman of questionable character, sleeping around, giving up on marriage. Now she's just living with guys. And the Lord calls her out on it. And she knows that nobody else knows that about This living situation. And what he was getting at is to get her to open up. And he had succeeded in doing so. And now, what was deep down inside this woman comes bubbling to the surface. She says, I got a question. She said, You Jews say that Jerusalem is the place to worship. But us Samaritans believe that we should worship on Mount Gerizim. What do you say? And the Lord says, Well, neither. For the Father is looking for people to worship him in spirit and in truth. And it really took her back. Neither, not even not even Jerusalem, no, in spirit and truth. It's not the place, a building, but it's from your heart. Well, that blew her mind. And she left and goes back into town and starts witnessing to everybody and said, Come and see the sky. That told me things that no man knew. And so a good portion of the town came out and they came back believers. And they went up to her and says, You're right, we believe. Oh, she she went on to say, I and it also has been said that the Christ is coming. And the Lord looked at her and he said, The one who is speaking to you is him. And that's when she went back into the city. The city comes out, they become believers, but not because of what she said. They believe because of what they heard from the Lord himself. Dwight, what's your point? Well, when we look at the story here with the woman at the well, and now we have this woman from Tyre and Sidon. I have a hunch the reason that the Lord went to Tyre and Sidon was here's a mother that wouldn't leave her daughter's side, who was just a young child, who was severely demon-possessed. And just as the Lord knew before he went to Samaria that he was going to have this divine appointment with this woman at the well, he knew that ahead of time. I believe he also knew that he was going to play hard to get with this uh, Gentile woman saying, sorry, I can only deal with Jews, forcing her to come out And show her faith and worship the Lord. She says, I believe you are the the Christ. And the Lord, seeing her faith, says, you can go home now. Um, You have great faith. And by the way, I've already taken care of the demon. He won't be there when you get home. And that's exactly what happened. But my point with all that is, I believe this is the main reason that the Lord went to this region. Not that there weren't many others, but he saw this woman in Samaria, who had no happiness whatsoever. Um, She was looked at as a prostitute. That's why she was there at high noon getting her water, rather than when you draw it either early morning or later in the day when it's cooler. And now she's restored. And it's also interesting to me, this is where the Lord said, um, look at the harvest for it's white un, unto harvest to, to reap the crop. The Lord said that in Samaria. That's the place that he told his disciples, say, here's your harvest. Here's here's your field for your missionary work. Samaritans? Lord, are you sure you want Samaritans to be saved? Cornelius, a Gentile? Is that possible for a Gentile to get saved? Let's get back to our study. So let's go back. That was That was... Uh, Matthew's account of the woman. Uh, Let's go back to uh, Mark chapter 7. And um, here's this Greek woman, not not a Jew. And the Lord, I believe, went there. That's just my own personal opinion, to set this woman's daughter free. Now verse 31. And again, departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon, came through the midst of the region to Decapolis, to the Sea of Galilee. Now, again, this is quite a hike, to go from Tyre and Sidon. Uh, The Decapolis is, it actually means 10 cities. And um, I can't pronounce all of them. Uh, Hippos, Pella, Damascus, Gerasa, Gadaria, Rafana, Donna, Dion, uh, Philadelphia—not the same one that's in uh, Turkey. Uh, and There's ten of them, and they're the word "decapolis" actually means ten cities. But I've been in this region and seen the ruins of some of them. But you're going from the Mediterranean Sea past the Sea of Galilee because this is on the east side. Of um, of the the Sea of Galilee, where the where they go up to the area of the, of the Decapolis, where these ten cities are, so that's the region. And here again, he's just doing a lot of walking around. Uh, then they brought to him one who was deaf, and had an impediment in his speech, and they begged him to put his hand on him. And so he took him aside from the multitudes. He put his fingers in his ears and he spat and touched his tongue then he looked up to heaven he sighed and said to him ephatha that is be opened and here's the word immediately again immediately his ears were open and the impediment of his tongue was loosed and he spoke plainly well he couldn't hear and he spoke, and he heard himself. This had to be a a mind blower for this guy. Death and dumb. And his ears are open first, and then his tongue. He begins to speak plainly, and he can hear himself speak. Can you imagine the look on this guy's face? And he commanded them that they should tell no one. And again, why? He was having big problems with crowd control. But the more he commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed it. Everybody knew this guy. Everybody knew he was deaf and dumb. And now he's speaking and hearing. And they were astonished to notice the word beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. It, um, um, Reminds me of um, Jesus talking when John the Baptist was, was doubting. And John sends his disciples because in prison he began to doubt that Jesus was the Messiah. To me, that's mind-boggling because it's John the Baptist. And he says, well, go tell John this. Tell him the lame are walking. Tell him the blind are seeing. And tell him uh, the deaf are hearing and the ones that can't speak are speaking again. Go tell John that. And <clears throat> um, these were things that only the Messiah was foretold he would be doing. Brings us to chapter 8. Um, chapter chapter 6 was the feeding of the 5,000. There are those critics of the Bible who say that this is one and the same event, the feeding of the The 4,000, but hopefully before we're through tonight, you'll have uh, uh, a clear understanding why these are two separate events. Let's read verses 1 through 10. Now, in those days, the multitude being very great. Okay, again, um, uh, we have 4,000 here, but it just says, men, if you add just one woman and one child, all of a sudden, you're up to 12,000 people. 12,000 people is what you would call a great multitude. So we have a very great multitude. And having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their own homes, they'll faint on the way, for some of them have come from afar. Then the disciples answered him, well, how can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? And he asked them, as if he doesn't already know, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. And he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the ground. Take note of that. And he took the seven loaves and gave thanks, broke them, gave them to his disciples, set them before them, and he set them before the multitudes and they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he set them also before them. And so they ate, they were filled, and they took up seven large baskets of leftover fragments. Now those who had eaten were about 4,000, and he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat and his, with his disciples and came to the region of Dalmanthia, And we're not sure um, the ruins of DeBanthea uh, to this day, as far as I know, have not been um, uh, discovered. So the critics, when we read about the 5,000, if you just turn back to chapter 6 real quick, um, we read... In verse 44, and those who ate the loaves were about 5,000 men. So we have the feeding of the 5,000, but again, um, one woman and one child with them, and now you're up to 15,000. And if if it's the same 4,000 just men adding women and children, you're up to 12,000. Here's the differences between the two. There are seven points Uh, that we need to call to your attention that shows that one is different from the other, that this is not one event. In the first instance, the multitudes had been with the Lord one day. In the second instance, it has now been three days. Number two, upon the first occasion, the disciples were told to go and see what supplies were available. We found out it was a little... It was a lad that had the, the loaves and fishes. Well, upon the other, they were ready with the information before they were asked. When the 5,000 were fed, there were five loaves and two fishes. While for the 4,000, there were seven loaves and a few fishes. Number four, the first time, which was near the Passover, the multitudes were told to sit in companies upon green grass. While the second time... Later in the year, when the, the green of the nearest would be burnt by the uh, sun, they were instructed to sit, it says, on the ground, literally on the earth. Number five, in the first instance, our Lord said to them, uh, said to have blessed the loaves. Well, upon the second occasion, he said to have given thanks first for the loaves, and then later on, a separate event, he blesses the fish. Number six, after the 5,000 were fed, there were 12 baskets of fragments that remained. But after this one, there were seven baskets left over. Obviously, the number that was fed was different in each instance. So these are two very different separate events. Now, um, picking up in verse 11, the Pharisees came out and began to dispute with him, seeking for him a sign from heaven, testing him. But he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Assuredly, I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation. And he left them and gathered into the boat again and departed to the other side. All this area is taking place And then uh, when we go to our bell, I've said this several times from the pulpit, um, I like to take my hands and standing on our bell and look towards where Capernaum is and from where, um, where Mary Magdalene would have been would be right about here. And then you have this whole area of the northern part of Capernaum, Bethsaida, Chorazin, the land of the Gadarenes, 65% of the Lord's ministry was done in that area. 65% in the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. Of course, home base was Capernaum uh, itself. So um, if there's one thing the Lord couldn't handle, was a hypocrite, and he saw in the scribes and the Pharisees complete hypocrisy in their religion, And um, I tell people that I hate religion. (laughs) What do you mean you're a pastor? How can you hate religion? Oh, religion is what keeps people from coming to know Jesus. And uh, most people today, there's a lot of people that go to church. And um, they're a good person because they go to church. And the Lord says, The the, uh, tax collectors and the harlots Are going to enter into the kingdom of heaven Before the scribes and the Pharisees And the disciples go What? (laughs) How can that be? Well that's because a tax collector And a prostitute They know that they're sinners That need to be forgiven But you have a good person Who thinks he's good And um, he never comes to a place of repentance Realizing that in his heart He's broken every one of God's commandments Including murder by hatred, including adultery by looking at lust at a man or a woman, and guilty. We're all guilty before the Lord. All have sinned, no exceptions. Another good place for an amen. But the danger is self-righteousness. So, if you want to do extra credit on that one, just read what he calls them in Matthew twenty-three: "Brood of vipers, hypocrites," and uh, he doesn't spare. Any harsh words. He says, how in the world do you think you keep people from entering into the kingdom of heaven because of your religion and your tradition? And people never come to a saving relationship with the Lord realizing I need to be saved and I need to be forgiven. And um, so he, he he wouldn't give them the time of day. Hey, show us a sign, would you? Remember um, when... It was back and forth when the Lord was arrested and then they were shuffling in between Pilate and Herod. And Herod heard about him. Oh, Jesus, I've heard about this guy. He's a miracle worker. And he says, How about a miracle? And the Lord wouldn't even talk to him. He says, That fox? Not I don't I have anything to say to him. So he sent him back to Pilate because it wasn't that he was interested in knowing the Lord. He just wanted to see something supernatural. Um, circus entertainment type stuff. Show me a sign. So let's pick it back up. Um, verse 14, now the disciples had forgotten. Oh, let's read verse 13. It says, no side will be given. And he left them, and getting into the boat again, departed to the other side, back and forth across the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, and they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. Then he charged them saying, I want you guys to look out of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. So here's Herod coming up again. Now, what the Lord is basically saying is these guys are false teachers. They teach traditions. And what it's doing is taking away the authority of the word of God, what we've already studied. Honor your father and your mother. Oh, you can get around that. Just give your property to the temple, and you don't have to worry about taking care of mom and dad, and you're off the hook. Man-made tradition, what does it do? It takes away the authority of this book right here. And so he says, look out for that. So I have no problem naming names. If they're, if they're false teachings, like a, like a Benny Henn, for instance. And um, because he's a charlatan, he he's uh, he uh, has his um, uh, um, what do you ever want to call him crusades or whatever. It's all a sham. He has people set up ahead of time. Um, it's not easy to it's not hard to go online and just Google people who have worked for Benny Hinn, and he's, they they say this is how it works. It's 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 a setup. People are set up before. He knows who's going to come forward He knows who's supposedly going to get healed And um, it's a sham And so it doesn't Sometimes people don't like it if I name names Well, if the Lord says Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees And then he mentions Herod by name How are you going to know who to look out for Unless I tell you who to look out for (laughs) you need to be a Berean don't believe it just because I say so do your own homework there's what's equally as bad as a partial gospel Joel Steen only gives a partial gospel is it successful oh yeah 48,000 people go to his church in Houston Texas largest one in the country um, I wish I had teeth as white as his actually of course his hair is so really good you want to hear a the Calvary Chapel pastor approaching Betty Hinn after one of his conferences. Please, somebody say yes. yes. Okay, good. I'll tell you a story. Calvary Chapel pastor is a true story. Uh, was was at I was I was with Pastor Chuck in Israel, and we we're in one of these hotels. This is a different story. I'm getting sidetracked now. And um, it was a big conference room where they have this big divider that divides one group from another group. So our group was on one side with Pastor Chuck, and Benny Hinn was on on the other side. And uh, talk about awkward, at least as far as... Anyway, this Calvary Chapel pastor, after a Benny Hinn um, crusade, makes his way back to... um, He says, I I need to talk to Benny Hinn. He, He... and he said, well, they let him in, they let him talk. And he looks seriously at Betty and He goes, Betty Hinn, you know, I, I got to ask you this question. If you could just answer it for me, please. And he said, Well, what is it? He says, How do you get your hair, you know, how, just, how, do, you, how do you get it to go just, just, just right? And he was messing with him, and, and Betty Hen knew that he was, he was getting jabbed because basically he didn't say he was a Calvary Chapel pastor. He just wanted to let Benny Hinn know that he had no respect at all for what he was doing and he was just messing with him with his hair, with just the right little, little flip right there. If you notice, it's perfect. It's never out of place at any given time. That was all extra free. <laughs> Let's continue on. All right. Um, so they reasoned among themselves. They... Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Look out for the false teachers, basically what the Lord is saying. And he says, especially Herod. And he mentions Herod by name. And he reasoned among themselves, saying, well, it's because we have no bread. And Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your start heart still hardened? Now, what's happening here? is basically the Lord is saying, don't you guys get it yet? Don't you realize who you're in the boat with right now? Don't you remember the 5,000? You were hard-hearted about that. What about the 4,000? And now you're thinking that um, it's because we have no bread? You really think that's going to be a problem? Um, What he's getting at is who he really is. You see, he's the bread of life. He wants them to believe who he is and have no ifs, ands, and buts about it. So the word of God is the bread of life because the word of God reveals Jesus. We are to feed on the Bible and to beware of false teaching. The whole counsel of God, you can't teach the whole counsel of God without um, proclaiming truth and exposing error. Both are necessary. Another good place for an amen. Because you can't go, th- most of uh, Paul's epistles are warnings about false doctrine, false teaching creeping into the church. And uh, you, can't, you can't get to 100 AD and you have 96 AD is when the book of Revelation uh, was written by, by John. And already Ephesus, a church that John had pastored and started at one time, already had left their first love. They had not left the the, um, um, doctrine of the Nicolaitans in. They were standing up against that. But by the time you get to Pergamos, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans was already partly established in the church. Question, what is the doctrine of the Nicolaitans? Made up of two Latin words. Nico, leadership, laity, over people. Leadership, hierarchy, over people. What you have is an order of authority where Jesus clearly taught, I think we just did this a couple weeks ago, you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven? What do you have to do? You got to be servant of all. To give an example of it, he got down and washed the disciples' feet, if you want to get, and Peter wouldn't have anything to do with it. So what had, what false doctrine had crept into the church? Hierarchy. Bishops, cardinals, priests, popes, or in other areas um, of uh, establishment in the church, um, they have certain orders of hierarchy. The Lord says, This thing I hate, because it completely goes against who uh, the Lord really was. All right, let's see if we can finish up our chapter here. Don't you guys st- get it yet? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? Do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets and fragments were taken up? And they said 12. And, and when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of fragments taken up? And they said seven. And he said to them, then how is it you do not understand? Don't you know yet who I am? And that is not an issue having one loaf? Then he came to Bethsaida, Now Bethsaida would be close to Capernaum and Chorazin. Uh, They brought a blind man to him and they begged him to touch him. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit in his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. And he looked up and he said, well I see men like trees walking. And then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up and He was restored and saw everyone clearly. The Lord has healed other blind men. He's done it differently both times. The question is why? The answer is I don't know. Except you can't put the Lord in a box. Could not he have just looked at the guy? I mean, the woman with the demon-possessed daughter, he didn't even go to the house. He just said, go home. Demon's gone. Don't you think the Lord could have just um, said to the guy, okay, you're healed. Of course he could have. He can do whatever he wants to is anything too hard for God? Answer is no, but um, he does it differently, so just so that you know that uh, you can 't put the Lord in a box and he 'll do it his way and He sent him <clears throat> the second time he he put his hands on him as he was restored, and he saw everyone clearly, and he sent him away to his house, saying. Neither go into town, and don't tell anyone in town. Now, Jesus and his disciples went to the towns of Caesarea Philippi. Now, I actually went online and saw. I wanted to know how long, I know how long it takes from a bus to get from Caesarea Philippi, which is up by the Golan Heights, uh, from where they just were at Bethsaida, which is on the northern tip of the Sea of Galilee, a little less than 40 miles, That's what I found out. And uh, so they're up in Caesarea Philippi. We always go there. It's a beautiful spot. It's the, um, uh, the headwater of the Jordan River comes out of a mountain at Caesarea Philippi. It's uh, um, the main branch of the Jordan. That's where it begins. And he said to them, who do men say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. Some think you're Elijah. Some, some of the others, some other prophets. But he said to him, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said to him, Well, you're the Christ. And he charged them that they should tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, and be rejected by the elders, and the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. Question Is that clear enough? Yeah. But right after this, they're going to start arguing. In Matthew's gospel, he says this. But then, right after that, James and John start the whole thing about Lord. When we get to the kingdom now, and we know it's right around the corner, uh, we want to sit at your right and left hands. You know, they isn't it true, man? Here's what he wants to hear, and disregards the, disregards the rest. Famous. Paul Simon lyric from the boxer man here's what he wants to hear and disregards the rest they only wanted to hear their position of prominence where they were going to be instead the Lord said he's going to die clearly and after three days clearly says he's going to rise again and he spoke this word openly and Peter being Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him and but when he had turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Now Matthew's account tells us, um, and I'm not going to go to Matthew because of the time, that when who do men say that I am, it was Peter that says, You're the Christ, you're the Messiah. And the Lord says, well said, Peter. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father from heaven. Ah, Peter's on a all. Divine revelation, boys. God gave it to me. Well, this is in the same uh, same paragraph, In uh, goes from uh, being totally um, honored to the point where the Lord openly rebukes him and says, get behind me, Satan, for... You're not mindful of the things of, of God. God's whole purpose was that Jesus would come and die. Uh, we'll close this with um, the cost of being a Christian. Um, and this is so important and not explained uh, for people today what it means to be a Christian. So let's read it and then we'll close with it with a couple of comments. And when he had called the people to him with his disciples also, he said to them, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And whoever desires to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Now this is where we were on Sunday." And the rationale was in Matthew chapter six about seeking first the kingdom. And um, again, this makes total, complete sense. Why? Because we went to Ecclesiastes on Sunday. The wisest man who ever lived says, been there, done it, tried it all. Um, Probably the richest man that ever lived. He says, whatever I wanted, I took it. Whatever met my eye that I wanted, I tried it. And I can tell you this, it's all vanity. It's all like grasping at the wind. You can you think that will make you happy, you think this will fulfill you. And the man who had the resources and the intelligence and all of the above to have whatever he wanted whenever he wanted it. Seven hundred wives, three hundred concubines? Are you kidding me? That's what he had. And um, he was told not to multiply wives or horses, and the wisest man who ever lived did both. And yet, um, here the Lord is saying, what does it profit a man? If you have all that, but then when you die, you lose your own soul. You have a soul. You have a spirit. It will last forever in one of two places. The danger is making sure that you know, that you know, that you know. Do you know the voice of the Lord? That still, small voice. When we were singing um, that song tonight, oh, let the love of God unfold you. Do you have a head knowledge or a heart knowledge of that? What was Jesus' concern with the, the traditions of the Pharisees? It's all lip service. Where's your heart? He says, I want your heart. Well, as Isaiah said, You honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. Being a Christian and coming to the Lord means having a one-on-one love relationship. There's a reason you are called the bride of Christ, and he is the bridegroom. That's a love relationship. And as a matter of fact, he told the church of Ephesus, unless you return to your first love, I'm out of here. I'm leaving the church. I'm afraid there's too many churches that um, the wheels are turning, the machinery is all in place and it's up and running. But I really wonder if the Lord is walking amongst his people. Verse 37, or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Good question. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words and this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and his holy angels. We've entered a new season in our country and I'm not going to go there (laughs) except to say everything changes and we should know what the word of God has to say about this generation, the generation that sees Israel reborn. He says, that's it. It's all going to wind down from there. Should we be surprised if our country changes and not for the better? Not at all. I expect it. But having said that, I don't want to leave you with that thought. I want to leave you with this thought. Jesus said, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. How much stability does that bring to your life? He's never going to change. The book that you hold in your hand, Jesus said, heaven and earth is going to pass away, not this. This is going to endure forever, and it's never going to change. And there's not a power in this universe that can stop God from fulfilling his purposes and plans. There's only one big question. Do you know that you know that you know? That you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you're not sure, the Lord says, you'll find me. Condition, if. If you seek me with your whole mind. That's what he said. Is that what he said? No, if you seek me with your whole heart, you will find me. Amen. Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. Um, As we make our way through the gospel of Mark, chapter by chapter and verse by verse, we're grateful when our country changes or the world changes that you don't change and that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the things that you have laid out, um, um, you've told us to count the cost of making sure that... um, There's nothing that we can give in exchange for our soul. And the only thing that you told us we can actually do to give you is to offer to you the sacrifice of praise, which is really nothing more than what we were doing earlier tonight, singing love songs to you. Lord Jesus, we're grateful, and we're thankful for your great grace that you've extended to us. And as we go out tonight to a changed world, we're grateful that you do not change. In Jesus' name, amen.